Pastor Pat had asked me to um, talk about some of the topics that he's covered over the last several months um, in terms of what what is a, what is a um, disciple, what is a saint, and what is a child, a son or a daughter of the Lord, and with the perspective of the Lord's love. And um, so I'm pretty excited about that. It was a little difficult because I had to use quite a funnel to... Um, you know, sift through and get the right things that um, I felt he wanted to cover. So um, I'll try to get through all of this, but, uh, you know, hopefully it's um, not going to drag on too long. But um, some of the things that I'm going to talk about that the Lord has led me through, a lot of it's through a morning thing that I do every morning, and it's really the Lord speaking to me in the morning and gives me just just these beautiful things over some of his scriptures and um and it was something he felt i i felt he was leading me to do when bruce and i met and it's probably blessed me more than it's blessed bruce but i i send him a scripture and a um god's word every morning um so it's um pretty exciting though what the lord shares and uh so some of these are from that but some of them are just from seeking him and and um so we'll see um so the different aspects that we're gonna that we'll cover um they could go in any one of those categories because you know that they're so intertwined between being a saint and being a son and being a disciple but um i hope you enjoy the way that this is um put together so um i kind of like to start in i guess I, I don't have to read it per se but um start with genesis where um the lord has created man in his image and actually i can read it here then get uh new king, new king james So we're going to start with Genesis 1, 26 and 27. So then, uh, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all, the earth and every other, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So that's how he started. That was his child. Adam was his child. Adam was his saint. He was perfect at that point. And Adam had dominion over the kingdom that God had created. So he was um, he was a disciple in the way that he followed the Lord and um, uh, took dominion and lived in his kingdom. So the problem was that um, he made a bad choice, as you all know, and everything was lost. He chose not to, father, to follow the Father, and that took away the discipleship that he had. Through sin, he lost righteousness, separating him. 
He was now separated from his father, and he was no longer a saint. His sonship, as a result, was lost because he couldn't stand before the Lord without the righteousness, and he no longer had the kingdom dominion. So God made a plan to restore all that was lost, and that was, as we know, Jesus. Jesus was sent to restore that was what was lost, that fellowship. He was sent to show the love of the Father, and he was sent to show us how to follow the Father and fulfill God's will and his purpose. So restoring the first thing we're going to talk about is the saint, the, re- the righteousness that Adam had been born into, but that he gave away from a bad choice and not following his father. We were created in his image, holy and righteous, with a heart of perfect love. Jesus restored us to our created value. We can stand righteous before the Father. That's what he came to do. He came to restore that what was lost. In Colossians 1.19, it says, For it pleased the Father that in him the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Now, it was a Bible study I had done with the Lord, and, you know, he, sh- he shares different things with different people in different ways. He's always taken me through the Bible in kind of a free flow and shown me and connected things beautifully. And one, one particular day, it was a couple of hours, but he showed me that the peace in this scripture, it's a very special one to me, means restoration. It means brought back to harmony with the Lord. And he made that through his blood of the cross. And when I sought that more, I think I shared this with all of you once before, the only blood that was shed on the cross was when the nails went through his hands and feet. So when we talk about peace, try to remember that. That was the restoration. It's more than just a happy feeling. It's, it's Jesus bringing us back to the Father. Colossians 3, 3 and 4 say, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Colossians 3, 5 through 10 is seeking holiness. That's what we're talking about is the sainthood. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. So it's not enough to just be cleansed. It's not enough to be made righteous by Jesus. We have to retain that. We have to seek that. We have to seek to be who the Father restored us to be. It also says, but Now you yourselves are to put off all of these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So why seek holiness? Why keep holy? Think about this. If we step outside of holiness that love protection that the Father can give us, it's gone because he can't abide where there's no holiness. 
He can't shine through us. He can't touch others with his grace, peace, and truth that he's put in us to do for him. He can't operate the kingdom through us. He can't share his discernment in love towards others. These words that have been shared across the different um, body members this morning, those are from the Lord that he wants to share with each other to show his love for us. And without this, we can't please him. So think about that. When, you're, when we make a choice, we're making a choice to stay with him or we're making a choice to be somewhere where he cannot be. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So holy is to walk in that holiness. Acceptable to God is to work and walk in love and cling to what is good, abhor evil. Reasonable service is reasonable because Given how how much he loves us and the price that he paid to show us and to restore us, I would think it's reasonable. You know, we need to look at it that way. He paid the greatest price for that. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The world centers around self. But we're not of the world. We have to remember that. And somebody said that this morning. There were a lot of things that were said this morning that, I'm, that I have in here, which is really um, cool. It's how the Lord links everything together. So we're not of the world. So we don't want to conform to the self way that the world thinks. Self is the opposite of perfect love. There's nothing about self and perfect love. And there's nothing about perfect love in self. So don't entertain hurt in you. If you're walking in perfect love, you can't be hurt. You can only hurt for those who are hurting you. Don't entertain offense in you. You can't be offended if you're walking in perfect love. Don't entertain judgment or jealousy because those can't exist in perfect love either. Don't try to fit in or ease in where there is not love. Where there is selfishness and self-promoting, you know, we've, I always read John three thirteen through 18. We know that every evil thing lives there. Um, it's the wisdom that's not from above. So remember, there's the world, and then we're of the kingdom. And they're pretty mutually exclusive. Um, be transformed by the re- renewing of your mind. So... That transformation, what are we exchanging? We're exchanging self for his love. We're exchanging hurt for hurting for the lost or those who hurt you. We're exchanging offense for grace and forgiveness. We're exchanging judgment for mercy. We're exchanging frustration for patience, understanding, consideration, even mentorship in love. We're exchanging fear for trust in him. This is what Sherry was talking about today. And Heather as well. We're exchanging despair for thankfulness. 
We're exchanging divisiveness for unity and like-mindedness with Christ. The point is to align with his love and his purpose. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How do we do that? It's transforming away from the motives and objectives of the world, which are in self. And they're also in opposition with God, which is perfect love, void of self. Walk out transformation. Deny yourself. Take up our cross and follow him. Demonstrate his heart, his nature, his love, his purpose, his will. That's how we prove that good and acceptable and perfect will of him. <clears throat> so what should the saint that's transformed, what does it look like? How can, how can we operate as saints that are transformed? And, you know, we talked about this actually last week. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate in these things. Our Heavenly Father, creator of the universe, is perfect love. He is the source of all that is good. All that his hand creates, the life that he breathes, is beautiful. So when we follow Paul's direction here, we're keeping our thoughts on the things of God, the things that he's created off and off the world. To think otherwise is taking our eyes off of him. And our thoughts off of him and we're moving out of the kingdom that he died to put in us. So the source of those things that are not of the Lord, we know that they lead to death. They do not have the peace of life eternal with him as those restored children of the most high God that we are. So remember that. That's why we're to think about those things because those are the things that are God. Those are the things that he's made up of. <clears throat> so the opposite thinking of his creation, his wisdom is full of self. Um, we can go back to James 3.16. Um, the existences for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. So we, not, we shouldn't open the door to those things. We need to focus on him, give thanks to him for all that is good, and move forward from the motives of a pure heart and the perfect love that he's put in there and his sacrifice of his son paid for. So that gives us an idea of how to get there and how to, you know, operate. But then um, what is it, you know, really living it out, what does it look like? And I did share this, I think it was last week. Um, I just felt the Lord you know, leading me to share it with you. And it's just moving on a little bit further in Philippians, and it was 4, 12, and 13. I just wanted to, I felt it was important to cover it again. And that Paul is saying that he knows how to be abased. That means with, with nothing at the bottom. And he knows how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, we hear that last part a lot that means, oh, we can do everything. Everything's going to be good. We can do everything. But no, he's saying, you know, the Lord never promised us a rose garden. You know, he said we're going to go through things. But he says 
We're not going to go through them alone. And we need to know how to walk through them. We need to know how to be thinking on whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is just, whatever is pure. When we're going through those things, we need to keep focus on him. So what do we do? We trust him. We seek him in, these, in all things, in all situations. The cause of a difficult situation, it's likely did not come from him, but he's going to see you through it. And he's going to give you the cause that will help you to overcome it and succeed. He'll give you joy and sorrow and hope and need. In these times, we can tend to focus on the sorrow or need, which turns our eyes from him to self. This can lead to reliance on self or self-wisdom. Again, you know, I always go back to James. You have said it enough times. The wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. Um, the same is true, though, when we abound. Think about that. In these times, a lot, of, a lot of us in the past or, you know, a lot of people we know, we tend to um, get complacent or we tend to run to self as well. Sometimes it looks like self-confidence. It looks like self-sufficiency, self-pride. It's honoring and giving, self, uh, giving ourselves that honor and glory instead of him. But you know what happens then, and you see this a lot, and you see this a lot actually in very, very wealthy people who don't know the Lord. You start to fear loss. You start to fear loss of your, stat your, stat your status, loss of your things, loss of what you've built instead of just trusting him. So, and your true peace is gone in that situation. But when we trust and seek him first, we fear no loss, and we're at peace no matter where our journey takes us. Since we know he's faithful in all circumstances, and we will bring us through every event looking more like him. And we're strengthened by him. Just like Heather was talking about that first time. It, it made her strong. Now she's speaking it out, and it's making her stronger for this time. So I call this section raw righteousness. And it's kind of what we've talked about, you know, Pastor Pat's taught on. Um, and it's just really getting down to the nitty-gritty, too. And this, the children of God... This is 1 John 3.10. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is he who does not love his brother. You can't get any more basic than that and more in your face than that. And this is what, um, you know, Pastor Pat's been on his heart very heavy because it's, it's the truth. The Lord has put it on his heart to share with us because it's so true, and we need to face up to that in everything we do. The Father's called us to um, what seems to be quite a perfect standard. While it, seem, it seems pretty stiff, we must realize it's not because he's not going to call us to anything we can't accomplish and that he hasn't prepared us for. He's also given us quite an example of the standard in his son. 
and his son made the way for us all. He showed us how to do it, and he gave us all of the tools to, to be just like him. And we were able to redeem that at the time he was resurrected, so um, we just need to look to that. Jesus' life lived was perfect love walked out. Nothing of self, nothing motivated by self. He only did what the Father asked. His hearing was set on the one source. He only heard from the Father, and that's all he did. Just like our hearing should be set on Jesus. We should only hear his voice. He gave us the Holy Spirit for that purpose. And we've heard a lot of situations today where that's been, that's been beautiful. The Lord has been speaking to our body, and they've been listening. And it's pretty, it's pretty exciting. It's getting more exciting every day. And this is how we know we walk in righteousness. The purpose of his, the motivation has no root in self. It's all perfect love. The more we choose to follow his voice in this motive, the better we hear. You know, and Pastor Pat said that. The more you speak it, the, the stronger your faith is. The more we listen and walk it, the stronger our faith grows and the better we hear. You know, it was, um, I cover it later too, but a long time ago, the Lord, um, in another Bible study, I asked him, how do I hear you better, Lord? How do, I, I want to hear your voice all the time. How do I hear? And how do I grow my faith? And he showed me, showed me faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But he showed me that's very important, that division. Faith comes by hearing. But how do I hear? Hearing comes by the word of God. It's not faith comes by hearing the word of God. It's taking that time to read the word, to hear what the Lord has to say, to get to know him personally. The more you know him personally through reading his word and seeking him in his word, your faith is going to grow. And it's just, I know it's a little um, technicality, but it, he showed me it's a very important technicality. So, The enemy is going to also try to sound like him. He'll urge us in subtle ways to steer us slightly off the path. And we might even have the same um, goal in sight, but some of those misdirections, they can start to build up, and our path can be um, too far off of the Lord's way. We need to be aware of that. We need to be checking things against his word. We need to um, uh, always be looking back at, um, you know, Philippians there that says what to focus on. What are the things to focus on? You know, making sure that we're not, um, the motive of our heart is on those things of the Lord, not on the things of self and the world. And, uh, you know, I brought it up before, and I think Jessica brought it up last week, is that um, it's just like that frog in the pot of boiling water. You know, if you just put it in boiling water, it's going to jump out. But if you slowly heat it up, it does. it's not aware of the danger it's in until it's too late. It's just like that if we're not looking for his voice, if we're not trying to build that voice um, before we know it, we can be off, and we, and we don't know his voice. So... Um, 
So that's how we stay his course and continue to hear his voice and his leading. But always, the big thing, though, is always saying yes when we hear it. Okay. Just had a couple of words here. There's so much that the Lord has for us and everything that we experience, whether the experience was led by him or not. Just like I said, you know, whether it's good or bad, you know, what, like Paul said, whether he's abased or abound, he knows how to handle it. Um, he can do all things through Christ. But it can be easy to be tossed and turned while believing we are staying the course. So that's why we do need to be diligent in these things because we can be swayed. Our focus can be um, turned off of him. And we can often think that we're on his course and we're not. Again, we need to be diligent about those little things. You know, you might not always think that keeping your mind on just the positives that are from him, you know, and not complaining, not, you know, um, thinking anything that's rooted in self, offense, any of those things, those are the things that are going to take you off. So that was what I had to say about righteousness and and, uh, being a saint. Now, um, discipleship. So we're going to go through some scriptures that are very familiar to you, Um, what Jesus said. We know that there are three out of the four Gospels say almost verbatim the same thing in what Jesus had said um, around being a disciple. Um, I'm going to read Luke, though, because he adds one word that I think is pretty cool. Um, And it says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I like it in the Amplified, too, if you don't mind me reading that. And uh, it says, if, any, if anyone wishes to follow me as my disciple, he must deny himself, set aside selfish interests, and take up his cross daily, expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come and follow me, believing in me, conforming to my example, and living in, and if need be, suffering or perhaps dying because of faith in me. For whoever wishes to save his life in this world for my s- will eventually lose it through death. But whoever loses his life in this world for my sake, he is the one who will save it from the consequences of sin and separation from God. And in Luke six forty, it says, A disciple is not above his teacher, this is Jesus, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. I like that. So let's take a look at what Jesus did. How, was he, uh, how did he follow those words? He did deny himself. In Philippians 2, 6, it says, Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. He denied all that he was to restore us. In 2 Corinthians 8, 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. So he came as a man to ultimately give his life to restore that was what was lost. The father's children to himself. In doing this, he exchanged creator of the universe for being a man and an infant at that. 
he became sin so he could be sinless. He became poor on so many levels so that we could live in the kingdom. And he died so that we could live. So we see to accomplish God's plan of restoration, Jesus defined love for us by giving everything that defined who he was. He sacrificed every aspect of who he was to show us completely what the opposite of self looks like. Perfect love. He's given us the keys to his kingdom because he demonstrated all of that. And he's just waiting for us now to follow. So our turn, deny ourselves and follow him. So the Lord, the Father sent his son to show us his love and what it looks like to walk as his child because that's what Jesus did. It isn't enough to want to be his disciple and speak as his disciple. We need to walk as a disciple. That means denying ourselves, refusing to follow self, walk in love. We need to be trusting and relying on Jesus, seeking him in the thing. And 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 11 says, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Jesus knows that we tend to believe that we can do things on our own. He knows this because he lived as a man and was tempted to do the same. But... Being in that place, he continually chose to follow the Father. So he knows that strength can come from following the Father and through through him. So he's, again, we need to look to Jesus to know how to do it. So if we follow Jesus, we have that strength that Jesus had by following the Father. So he made a way for us to walk as he did in his righteousness so that he could abide with us and do as the Father did for him. You know, in everything, the Father, you know, it was, like, it was like he was just continually in his head, telling him, you know, touch this person. I'd like you to do this. I'd like you to do that. And he was always yes. He was always yes. But we saw what he was able to do. He, he, he healed thousands. He raised the dead. He made the blind to see and the lame to walk. And he was one with the Father, And he now made a way for us to be one with him, just as he prayed in John 17. I mean, that whole prayer is amazing. You know, here he is about to be handed over to die on the cross, and he's praying for us. He's praying that we can be one with him like he is with the Father, and we can be one together and give glory to the Lord. He told us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him if we wish to be his disciple. By doing that, he promises that his grace will flow in sufficiency, and our weakness, our denial of self, will become his strength. So we talked about denying ourselves. Now what does it mean to take up our cross? Staying the course when the world presents challenges and distractions trying to draw us from true north. And I've shared this, I think, before, too. I love the way Dan Moeller puts it. He says, it's not letting sin against us 
produce sin in us, is taking up our cross. And then the following him, his example, his commandments, and his heart. It means fulfilling his purpose, which is to spread his glory and, and spread the gospel and restore more children to the king. We destroyed the old man when we chose him, and we should not consider picking it up again. Anything associated with that old man, our minds should be renewed to where we think differently and we think like Jesus. In Luke 6.40, it says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone his, who is perfectly trained, again, will be like his teacher. Bring it up again. He came to reclaim and restore God's children to him and make them whole. So we're called to do the same. He preached the gospel, raised the dead, healed the sick, cleansed lepers. John 14, 12 says that if we believe, these works will do also, and greater works than these will we do because he's gone to the Father. So there we go with the fivefold ministry. I mean, there's nothing that can stop us. Everything that Jesus did, he made it possible for us to do. He followed his father's voice at every step, did what was directed, spoke what he was given to say. And Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit for us to do the same. Jesus is the word, the truth, and the light. We have the truth of his word, which we confess and we walk. Those are the things, you know, I praise the Lord that um, Larkin was delivered. And that's what she's already started to do. She's already speaking the truth when those words come. She's speaking the truth about who she is in the Lord. And that's how we that's how we follow him. And when we do that, we're shining the light. Whether people see us or not, we're shining his light. Jesus walked in pure love and mercy. He was never offended. He was never emotionally hurt. He was never judgmental, unkind or self seeking. He walked in pure love and sacrifice, seeing the prize of God's children restored to their created value and fellowship with him. We need to see other people that way, too. We need to approach other people that way, too. We need to see them through those perfect eyes of love. We need to see them in their full potential with the Lord in them. That's what he sees. He doesn't see the broken he sees what their potential is with him in them. We're to be mercy as we were shown great mercy. So again, perfected in training to look like the teacher. So um, just something real quick. Um, there was a scripture 1 Corinthians 16 13 14 says watch stand fast in the faith be brave be strong let all you do be done with love so I just have a couple of bullet points there because it's so simple but it's such a great exhortation for us to walk in so remember love is always the best response it represents the father because he's perfect love it represents the Lord Jesus he came to demonstrate the father's love he came to restore his children whom he loves he carried out his work on the cross in perfect love. So any other response comes from self. And do we need to go back to James 3, 14 through 16? Again, 
We don't want to be where better, bitter envy and self-seeking in our hearts. They boast, a lot, boast and lie against the truth. Okay. So the objective of discipleship, really, there's an urgency of, of our call, you know, that the Lord has on our lives. In Luke 10, 2, 2 and 3, it says, um, Then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. His work on the cross provided a life um, lived extraordinarily for his purpose. The purpose was to restore children um, back to the Father. You know, when I think about that, I think about um, I think about the vision that we all have here at Church on the Street to really be that church on the street to do the things that you know we're starting to see and that we're hoping to see more of. And I don't know how many of you are familiar with um, Heidi Baker and David Hogan, who you know you'll hear that they're going out to people who have never heard the gospel. They're going out to native um, tribes and things that have a very basic, basic life, but it's, you know, usually witch doctors and, um, or they learn the gospel. But when they go out, it can be life-threatening to them because of the opposition that they face, but usually they're raising the dead. They're healing. They're um, having um, witch doctors and um, uh, leaders of Islam with machine guns asking for prayer and wanting the Lord. You know, that's the extraordinary life that he set us up to live. So... You know, is, this has been hitting me lately that, you know, that type of life, it does call us up a notch. You know, quite often to be there when we need to be there and be ready, we should be perhaps fasting and praying to be ready for that. You know, we a lot of people will fast and pray for health and for sicknesses and issues and situations. But are we fasting and prayer, praying to be ready so that we're going to live that extraordinary life and we can say yes when he calls us? You know, I'm looking for that normal day. You know, I, I want that for myself. I want to be diligent myself because I want my normal day to consist of me healing the sick, raising the dead, feeding the poor, and bringing souls to the kingdom. That should be our normal day. You know, and I, one thing I, I, you know, I can't help being analytical sometimes and trying to understand, well, why is it so profound there? I mean, they are, they are laying everything out. That's one of them. They are fasting and praying. But I look and I see our culture here in the U.S., and it's almost a more difficult mission field because of our culture. You know, it's a traditional lifestyle, but I feel it's dulled our sensitivity in our call to the Lord, you know, and our call to action that he has called us to in his word. 
And um, it's frustrating because I know we're just leaving too much on the table. I don't want my life to go by and say, I could have done this, 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 and this. You know, I've, I feel I'm just leaving too much on the, on the table that needs to be taken for him. And I know that's why he's saying that the labors are few. You know, we're letting too many of these things get in our way. And instead of just keeping our eye on the prize and that being our priority. The, the labors exist, but they've been led astray and distracted by the world we live in, being convinced that this way is the norm, that death, dying, sickness, hate, and hopelessness is our, that's our culture. So let's understand his norm and leave nothing on the table. Let's help make the few more and then many. I think we can do that, but we need to change the culture or we need to come against it somehow. And I just wrote, I just was trying to think, okay, what are the things that we would need to change? We need to change the culture to know God, the Father, and his great love. We need to change the culture. And then when I say that, it's not just us, but it's us, I guess, broadcasting that or educating our uh, society. That's how we change our culture. The people around us, it might even start in our home. It might start in our business, you know, or where you work. But it's slowly to not be afraid to do this. It's to change the culture to know and understand Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, the firstborn, our model, our first love, our brother, our leader. Is to change the culture to openly honor and praise and glorify Jesus. How is it that we can glorify these sports events and everybody cheers and screams and yells and flacks to them? But there's many of us that are shy to declare his, declare his glory at work or to a coworker. Yeah, exactly. We need to be bold to openly honor and praise him, to hear his voice and see his plan, the culture to believe. Change the culture to never hesitate to step out in faith in obedience to his plan. Always say yes. Change the culture to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. And self given over to love, counting the cost and moving forward, seeking his will always, following and trusting him, always saying yes, changing the culture until we are all comfortable with being uncomfortable and are stepping out over the edge continuously in obedience according to his plan, changing the culture to realize and recognize that all we have, everything we have, it's his. It's his. Why should we worry about whether we will lose it or not. It's his. It's his business. It's his home. It's his car. It's his to use how he wants it to be used. Change the culture to realize that we were bought with a price. Our lives are no longer our own. We love not our own lives unto death. We serve and follow him with joy no matter where it leads. We walk in love and surrender. And 1 John 3.18 says, My little children, let us not love in word or tongue, but in deed and truth. That's how we change cultures. 
and deed and truth. This is where the rubber meets the road. Our purpose for him walking out the yes, Lord. It's not just saying we love him and are willing, but it's the full surrender to him, his call, his voice, his direction, and all that he requires, no matter the cost. And when I was putting this down, I was remembering this is exactly what Pastor Pat was talking about a couple months ago when he was just brought to tears. He just wants to say yes. He doesn't know what that's going to mean. It could be painful. It could hurt. But he wants to, he's, he's, he's saying yes. We need to be there. That's that uncomfortableness that we're on the edge. We're saying yes. We don't know what that's going to look like, but we're plowing through. And our answer is yes. It's, it can be scary because we don't know what the sacrifice is going to be. It couldn't cut deep, but can, in some cases, it could be people's very lives. You know, we see that in some of those other areas. But this is the fear, dying to self and the truth of what it will cost as we follow him. Full surrender to the walk. Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. It's like the, the step that Peter took in deed and truth from saying that he would die for Jesus and then denying him three times until after Pentecost. Do you remember the flip? After Pentecost, when he was taken and beaten for proclaiming the good news, and he was joyful that he took stripes for walking out Jesus' commission. So examples to consider, um, you know, you, you guys hear me talk about Dan Moeller a lot, talk about Pastor Pat, and also David Hogan. Um, those of you who are familiar with Dan Moeller, he's such, um, his teaching is um, walking God's love, and just being God's love, and just being in joy, because that's who you transform to be. And so it's the how. I, I look at that as the how am I to be perfect love as a child redeemed, you know. And, and that is it's to just, you know, be so turned over to that that, yeah, hurt is, is long gone. You don't see that anymore. Instead, you're hurting for those who are lost. You know, there's such a joy in that. There's such a joy in knowing that you're his and that you're in love with him and he loves you. And then you listen to David Hogan, you listen to Heidi Baker, um, you know, there's several others like that. And that's the, that's the what, you know, that's the what. They're on the, they're on the, in the war zones. They're on the front line. It's what it looks like and what it could cost, you know, when we die to self in full surrender. That was disciple. <laughs> now let's talk about son and daughter of God. So his children, who are they and what are they called to be? Well, we know they're predestined by love. I love this verse, Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, 
according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made accepted in the beloved. He chose us. He chose to love us before his word even breathed life into us. His love became a will and a plan to redeem us, to adopt us, to cleanse and make us whole, to give us his kingdom that would live inside us to bless and flow from us. His plan was created from pure and perfect love that took on the form of man to demonstrate his nature, to reveal what sonship looks like, to teach and encourage us, than to stand in front of us and take on the consequences of our sin in our stead. He did this through the blood of his cross to secure our place by his side for eternity. He took great pleasure in this because the prize that he would receive and for the potential he sees in us when he lives in us. Do you guys realize that? He took pleasure in doing that. Yeah, it was hard, but he took pleasure in it because we are his prize. His promises to his kids, um, I'll go through Luke 10, 19, and 20 for this. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on servants and scorpions and o over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. What I like about this, you know, I, you know, maybe it's obvious to everybody, but it was kind of subtle to me. I love the instruction that he, that he gives us here because he is making a promise of great authority and protection, a right of the children of the Most High God, but he's showing us what a heart of pure love looks like by telling us not to rejoice in this fact. Because if we do, it would display an emotion or reaction that can come from self, specifically pride. He wants us to be careful not to step over into that. He wants us rather to look at it from the identity of a child, a child of his. So not being so prideful that you've got all this power, but to feel honored and loved because he's taking care of you. So it's the authority because the love restored us and it preserves us. It's mercy that made a place in heaven for us to have eternal fellowship with the Father. That's what he chooses us to see. So this extraordinary grace and mercy should be met with great thankfulness and love focused on the Father and willing to pour out the same towards all his kids. I'm thankful for these promises and that they keep me no matter what I face for his purpose. And he rejoices that God the Father has revealed these things to babes. I like that one. Over the wise and the prudent. The wise and the prudent are wise in their own eyes, tending to pick and choose what it is that they'll follow, leaning on their own understanding. But he says that babes, they're looking at the Father, they're looking to the Father and the Son with full assurance and trust in where they're being led. 
They're willing to fully trust, rely, and believe and follow. So I like that. So let's let them lead. I put, I've got here three times. Let them lead, let them lead, let them lead. <laughs> we must take the time to ask and seek, listen, know, and hear. You know, I, I belong to this group of um, Christian CEOs. And, um, man, this one man just spoke a revelation. And he said he realized that in the morning he's coming into work, and this was me. He's coming into work, and he's asking the Lord to bless his plans. He's not asking the Lord, what is your plan, Lord, so I can follow in it. Because then it'll, I know it'll be blessed, and I know it'll be yours. So let's let him lay the course, and it's automatically blessed. Our faith is birthed this way. In Romans ten seventeen. So then faith, this is where I have it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by his word. So when we hear his word and we follow it, we see the result of his blessing and the wisdom of his plan, the strength of who he is in us. And obviously our faith is going to grow. The more we do that, the more we trust him, the more we follow him, and the more our faith is going to grow. So what is our son and daughter identity? This is something that... Um, you know, even in that um, CEO group I was telling you about, I struggle with this with some of the people. And I don't know, you, maybe you do as well. Um, you know, we know what Jesus did for us. We're children of Zion. We're not beggars. We're not dogs. We're not worms. You hear those terms all the time when people are talking about being a Christian. You know, we're just this. You know, we're so, you're, they're, it's false humility. You know, it's not... It's not the kind of humble that the Lord wants us to be because he paid too high of a price for us to not be that. We are children of the Most High God. We've been given the armor that um, shows that, demonstrates that, and it's, really, it's just really counterfeit humbleness at that point. Because if you look at it at that point, you're, you're identifying yourself not as a, as a child of God with the kingdom living in you. You're identifying yourself as someone who doesn't have the armor. You're identifying yourself as um, somebody who he hasn't provided for. And that's not true. He paid with his life to provide those things for us. It precludes us from walking in that authority and using that armor. When we do acknowledge who we are, we're acknowledging what he did. We're acknowledging his great love. We're acknowledging that it was enough. He paid the highest price to clean, to make us clean, to restore us to that created value that we were created in in his image. And as his child, he equipped us and he placed the kingdom within us. He sent his Holy Spirit to lead and guide us in all truth. How can we say that we're dogs and worms and we don't, you know, we're just beggars? It's a dishonor to him. And when we identify as a child of God, if you think about it, it's, it's easier to walk in righteousness 
if you're identifying as a sinner, you're always trying to walk that fine line and trying not to sin. If you're walking as a child and you know who you are and you're trying to please him, you're keeping your eyes on the things of him, not on trying not to sin. So let's talk about what is humility. And Pastor Pat covered that um, really well um, several weeks ago. And it's um, one of the things he said was that it leads to trust and reliance on him and obedience. His plan is for fullness and his abundance in our lives. He best understands what that is. So we need to trust him and ask for his steps. That's what humility is. It's trusting him that he knows better. He created us. He created this world. He's got a plan and a purpose for us. And by the way, it's to win more souls. <laughs> so we need to trust him in that. That's humility. Deuteronomy 8, 2, 4. I, I, I love this. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years. We're talking about Israel after um, the exodus from Egypt in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know or did, or did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. It took Israel 40 years of being led in the wilderness, and they still didn't humble themselves to realize that. And they weren't able to go into the promised land until those elders all died off. It took Jesus 40 days of trials to show that he knew it right out of the gate, and he came through with flying colors. That's who we're supposed to follow. He was humble. So that lack of humility, it leads to reliance and belief on self, which leads to hardness of the heart and lack of sensitivity to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And remember Proverbs 3, um, 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean, on to, lean not unto thine own understanding in all thy ways. Acknowledge him, and he will direct our paths. So, so a revelation, you know, I guess it's a pretty obvious one, but it was a revelation that I had is that when we truly trust in him and where he leads, it doesn't matter what anybody else says or does. We can be at total peace knowing that we're in his will and we're pleasing him. It's kind of hard sometimes in the world, but we'll get to that place. We keep doing it. So, so his children... We talked about two worlds um, here. In Matthew 16, 25, for whosoever, we went through this one, desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, there, there are two worlds. We can live in one or the other. We can't live in both. There's the earthly world. We'll call that the world. And then there's his kingdom. So life in the world is death in the kingdom. Death in the world is life in the kingdom, and it brings others into the kingdom. So 
We're not of this world. We're of the kingdom. So in John 15, 18, and 19, it says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. That's Jesus talking. So don't be worried about that. If, if, if people are hating you because you are a Christian, they hated Jesus too. That just shows you're doing the right thing. <laughs> 19, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. John 16, 33, these things I've spoken to you, that in, may, in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So being not of this world, it's a shift in our thinking um, quite a bit, you know. Again, a lot has to do with the culture. It has a lot to do with what we've grown up traditionally to believe and, you know, how we go about our life and all different aspects. But um, the shift in the thinking, it, it, it can be hard because it's not seeing things as being able to be lost. You know, it, it can even be family members. It can be your home. It can be your job. It can be your car. They don't have the same value. I know that's tough to it's tough to say. It's tough to hear, but that's the truth. You know, our our first love is Him and following Him and and listening to Him. And, you know, some of us have learned that. There's not much you can do about, you know, losing somebody or losing something, but there's a lot you can do about who you love first and who you cling to and who's there for you and what your eternity looks like. You know, it was um, after the loss of my husband that um, I really understood this verse in Revelation 12.10. It says, then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. That means that you're at a place where you know, if somebody's holding a gun to your head, it shouldn't matter because you know what's there in heaven waiting for you. You know, and I really didn't have that flavor until, you know, Mike passed away. And now, you know, we had the shooting at our building in February. I had no fear. I know part of it was the Lord gave me grace because I was a leader and I had to take care of everyone that did have fear. But part of it was because he's shown me that this does, it doesn't matter. It, it was really sad. It was very difficult for the people who were involved. But for me personally, my, my personal safety, I know where I'm going. I know whose child I am. Paul talks about this in Philippians um, 3, 7 through 11. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, 
and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteous which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So I talked about the loss of my husband. I, th I can tell you that these verses are very real and powerful, especially if you've suffered a great loss. You know, there's a number of you here that have. It could be the possession of things, positions, even relationships, or the loss of family members. Um, but... You know, they all get put into proper perspective, um, perspective with uh, respect to him. The more we know him, the more we understand what he gave, what he accomplished, and the place in heaven that he's made for us. And the Lord showed me, he gave me an image, um, what this means. And I wanted to explain it to those of you who don't know what I'm talking about. This is what he told me, why he gave me this image. And maybe, you know, if you want to close your eyes, I'll, I'll, I'm going to describe this to you. It'll give you the perspective that he wants, he wants you to have. So imagine Jesus coming to you in person. He's coming to you, and he's standing right in front of you, face to face, and he begins to talk to you. He tells you how much he loves you and how eager the Father is to meet you once you finish his work here on earth. He tells you a little of what his sacrifice was like, but with a broad smile, he assures you it was so worth it because he now has you. He then tells you a little about heaven and the beautiful eternal home he has prepared for you. He tells you he sees great potential in you as you trust him and follow him. He trusts you in return to help him and asks that you tell more of his children about him. He says there will be some very difficult roads ahead, but he's going to be there to guide you and to hold you close through it. With this perspective, which is real, all gain on this earth becomes rubbish in comparison. <laughs> He's showing us his path and his purpose so simply and clearly. He, he shared that with me. For those of you who don't have that perspective, and that deepened it for me. Um, I do have a little bit more here. Um, in Philippians three seventeen through 21, um, Paul says, Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is even 
He is able even to subdue all things to himself. I know that was a long scripture, but it's the black and the white of it. Um, we understand and pursue um, what a citizen of heaven should be pursuing, or we fall by the wayside as those who choose another citizenship. Are we the world or are we the kingdom? The danger we talked about before is that there's a drift. You know, you think you're in the kingdom, but you're drifting into the world. And he said, you know, Paul's talked about it in here. These were children of the Lord that drifted, and now they, he calls them enemies of the cross of Christ. So we need to be alert. We need to be diligent. We do that by keeping our eyes on him and our feet fully planted, following him. I thought this was interesting. I put, um, I'm almost done. Yeah, this is it. Um, it's talking about, it's fine. It's, um, I'm going to finish with uh, walking in covenant. And it's, um, it pretty much bridges the children, righteousness, and discipleship. And it starts with a scripture in Exodus 34.10 that says, And he said, Behold, I make a covenant before all of your people. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation, and all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. This is what he said to Moses. Then John 1.17 says, However, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So we have a better covenant. Then leads us back to John 14, 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Now think about that. The Lord made that covenant with Moses, and he says that he knew him face to face. He buried Moses when Moses died. He talked to Moses daily. Can you imagine doing that? I mean, that's one of my favorite parts in the Bible is where the Lord picked up Moses and put him in the cleft of the mountain so Moses could see the bit of glory that he could see without burning up and the fact that he was able to talk to him all the time. But just think about it. We have a better covenant. We don't have to worry about being in the cleft. We can talk to him face to face. We can do these works. So as the son of God and the firstborn, Jesus did all that the father directed, performing thousands of miracles. And he said that we would do more if we believed since he ascended to the father. So I just want to leave you with that. Just comp contemplate that, the magnitude of that the magnitude of what the relationship Moses had with God and that we have a better covenant through Jesus. We have a greater promise. We just need to believe, follow, seek to know him. We need to seek his face. And through that better covenant that Jesus provided, we can meet God, the Father, face to face. Believe, deny ourselves, take up our cross, and earnestly and completely follow him. 
I'd love to be a daughter that seeks this and hungers for it. 